filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. So, those of you who are were paying attention on Tuesday night, which is when we're recording right now, will know that that our Twitter account at filibusterdcu sent out a tweet that uh, one of us had made a drink that was too strong, but decided to forge ahead anyway, and um, there would be a quote prize for whoever guessed right. Jason, who did guess right? Uh. My friend Brian uh, at DCU Paragon, who definitely has an advantage in that um, while our listeners, I'm sure, had a strong inkling that it was me, uh, Brian has seen this in full flight over multiple years on many occasions. So he he had an advantage over you guys. I'm and sorry, we'll get to what the else. drink is later. Um, there was a good solid guess from uh, from Jimmy R, who's at NN underscore Gooner, uh, who says... I get the impression that there isn't such a thing as too strong for Jason. So I'm going to say Ben, who is neither drinking nor forging on tonight. Ben is uh, out on assignment tonight. And uh, so it'll just be Jason and me until the second segment. But uh, yeah, basically. Um, and this this is a lot of fun because Jason was trying to tweet from the the podcast account who the winner was and did it from his personal account instead. Um so that that strong drink is already paying good dividends. Uh, well, I was going to say, I want I want people to know it's not the drink's fault. Uh, this is mental <laughs> fatigue uh, from taking on too many assignments that I could have pawned off on others and failing uh, at delegation. So this is my own fault. Uh, I've turned myself into an idiot. Uh, and now you're stuck listening to a show featuring 50% idiot. I mean, that's... That's usually the case. Where the fifty percent is split up is is the difference from week That's to week. True. I think, but this, this time show, it's between be very the three of us, there's always fifty percent idiots. <laughs> there's one and a half idiots every show. Um, it's just a question <laughs> of who the who that one and a half idiots. Those one and a half idiots. That idiot and a half. However, no, you you can't take pronouns. it over fifty percent already. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I'm getting turned up on my own grammar. So instead, I'm just going to say, hey, hey, welcome in to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. He's Jason Anderson. Like I said, Ben Bromley is on assignment tonight. Uh, we're all from blackandredunited.com, where we write about soccer, if you hadn't guessed. DC United, the U.S. men's and women's national teams, the Washington Spirit, the Richmond Kickers, occasionally local college soccer, really... um Whatever catches our eye and involves kicking a ball. So uh, you can find all that at Black and Red United. Tonight, we're talking about DC United's one-to-one draw against the Montreal Impact on Sunday night. And we're talking about the upcoming game on Saturday night against the Philadelphia Union. Before we do any of that, though, Jason, tell me about your overly Um, strong drink. Yeah, so uh, I was asked uh, a couple times, actually, at the game what I was going to drink uh, for this week's episode. And I had a very unsurprising answer because it's been very hot out. So I said, 
it's been hot as hell. I think I'm going to drink gin. I think that's the exact answer I gave um, when I'm asked by, by uh, Marcel, um, who I think I've known God, for like 13 or 14 years now. Um, but uh, I went with gin. Uh, it's a gin Ricky. Um, but I, I did it in a, a different order than normal. I, I put my lime juice in. I was going to put the whole glass in the freezer um, and let the whole thing come down because I really wanted it to be cold. Um, and, uh, while I was pouring the gin, I just didn't, uh, notice, I was like, I didn't, it, it didn't occur to me that I was going to put ice cubes in as well. Um, <laughs> and so I stopped with a, a glass that was already like 50%, uh, gin and lime. And it's only one lime. It's only the juice of one lime and it's a pretty big glass. So you can imagine how much gin is involved. Um, so you're and, drinking at groomsman strength. Yeah, this is definitely a groomsman strength drink, without a doubt. And in fact, uh, gin was in the first groomsman strength drink, though that was a gin and tonic. But uh, I'm following a, a long tradition of dumbness, uh, but dumbness for the right reasons. I'm drinking a, a simple Lagunitis IPA. Uh, I've had it on the show before, I know. It's a good beer. It's from um, Petaluma, California, California and yeah. with a second brewery in Chicago. So... If I really want to tie this into something, I will say thank you, Chicago, for uh, Kennedy Iguananike and, and that trade. And thank you for keeping most of his salary and his designated player spot. So that's how I will pretend to tie it into soccer and the show and not just say it's the only beer that I had in my fridge and I was too lazy to make a mixed drink. On that note, let's get to the soccer. Ben Olsen called it United's best back-to-front performance of the year, but United had to settle for a home draw Sunday, one-to-one against the impact goals from Patrick Mullins and uh, Hernan Bernadello uh, for Montreal late in the game. Uh, United led most of the way and then gave up that late goal off a deflection, off of a half-cleared corner kick. Uh, Jason, United held the ball a lot in this. They they dominated possession, in fact, which is not something we get to say all that often. They pressed high, they created chances, but they only got the draw. How are you feeling right now? Uh, Not great. Um, it's one of those situations where the component parts are all really, really good. Um, I noticed that, you know, there's been some discussion about whether United is playing a 4-1-4-1 or a 4-3-3. I know... I've come down pretty strongly that it has been a 4-1-4-1. In this game, I actually I am pretty solidly behind them playing 4-3-3. I think mm-hmm. De Leon and Niarco were pushed very high up the wings to support Mullins rather than leaving Mullins on his own and then coming in later. They were up there all the time. Um, so I think from that front, it was an interesting thing to see. Um, I liked a lot of... The approach work. Um, I was. I enjoyed the pressure, um, the willingness to keep the ball, even when Montreal was trying to keep pressure. There was a real emphasis on keeping the ball even under pressure, including um, by the center backs. Right. You know, there there was a real push to not opt for the long ball unless it was absolutely necessary. And usually, United defaults to that too early. Mm-hmm. The, the definition of absolutely necessary is a little. Uh, a little loose uh, with with United's uh, back four. Um, I I really liked a lot about this performance against a team that has a ton of really good players um, and specifically really good passers who yeah. know how to get into space and how to kind of control space and keep the ball themselves. And they just were completely unable to. The impact yeah. were in this game it was um, fantastic. And, and you know, 
given that United has struggled against teams like Montreal that have that top line player or two that, that, you know, you play them very evenly, but you can't beat them one through 11. You end up playing them evenly. And then that special player does you in via some magic, you know, Giovinco uh, a couple weeks ago is comes to mind. Um, not that DC was even in that game. That's not the best example, but it's happened <laughs> a few times this year where, um, you know, that top guy has, has killed United. And in this game, Didier Drogba was pretty ineffective. Uh, ineffective. Like I said, <laughs> I've turned stupid. Um, and I noticed looking through some numbers that Ignacio Piatti was dispossessed like eight times, which I can't recall seeing that number pop up for any other game, not just for DC, but in MLS this year. I haven't mm-hmm. seen a player lose the ball that many times. Now, he still was effective. He still had, I think, five successful dribbles. He drew a few fouls, so it wasn't like he was bad. Nearly um, scored a goal completely on his own when yes. he DC United did their best Columbus crew impression. Uh, <laughs> Bill Hamid and Steve Birnbaum passing it back and forth while Piotti was just standing there, uh, right. kind of waiting for one of them to underhit their pass, which they both were <laughs> underhitting yes. their passes. They were getting closer and closer together. Um, that would have been one where I would have liked to see Hamid, you know, just... Well, event, say yeah. screw it or or reverse it well, over to the other thing is the other thing is on that play you do need somebody to to make themselves available for the yeah. long ball to not become a thing yeah. um and, and i was also pleased to speak of piotti again um we've seen him in the past succeed without the ball against united by high pressing he he destroyed uh united's reliance on perry kitchen last year um in the the one shot one kill game um in which Montreal ended up taking like 25 shots. It felt like 600. Um, that that was a tactical loss based on Piotti's willingness to pressure. It had nothing to do with his soccer ability. It was just his ability to defend and run. Um, United is vulnerable to that in this, this setup because they're so reliant on Marcelo to take the ball from the defenders and move it along. Um, they did a very good job of making sure that wasn't the case either. Um, all of these things were promising. I thought Mullins did well, um, aside from the goal. He was also, he played a lot like the good version of Saborio, who holds the ball up, but is mobile and is engaged for the whole time he's in. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that I think we can count on with Mullins more frequently than Sabo, who we're never quite sure which one is going to show up. Um, there was so much to like about it, except you've got to find a way to finish your team off when you play, when you play like that. I, I know Ben Olsen says it frequently when United doesn't win games that they should have, you have to reward yourself um, for, for taking charge of the game to that degree. And to have 16 shot attempts and only three on goal uh, speaks to the issue though. You know, one of those non, not shot on goal or shots that was not on goal. Was uh, off was, the yeah. It was Saborio about to finish the game off. Um, and for anyone wondering, a shot that hits the woodwork and is not saved yes. onto the woodwork is not a shot on target because it's yes. a shot that could not possibly go in. Right. Um, so um, it's not even though it target, literally no. does hit the goal, and so you'd think that it yes. is on goal. It technically but that's not is the target. Not. Right. Yes, the target is if it hits the post and goes in, then it's on target because it it right. went in. Um, um, yeah, that finishing it wasn't. It was everybody. Yeah, and even um, yeah, it wasn't like Mullins missed scored a goal, but missed like seven sitters or something like right. that. Right, and even his it was goal, a spread I think if around the field was Mullins' goal, <laughs> which was a beautiful downward header that we'll talk about more in a minute. But even his goal, I think, if the field is dry, that probably bounces over the goal. 
but because it was wet, Maybe. it skipped a little bit yep. and went into the underside of the, right. you know, the roof of the cage, um, to use a hockey term, I guess. But it's, it, it was just bad finishing all night. And it wasn't that they were way off most right. of the time. It was just a little bit off. And, you know, there's a lot of just a little bit off. Yeah. Nick um, DeLeon missed, I think, either okay. post and also forced yeah, a, good he had a save couple from Evan Bush. Uh, mm-hmm. Acosta missed the, the near post and then skipped basically skimmed the top of the crossbar another time um mullins missed one everyone Niarco, seemed like yeah, yeah Niarco had, it, yeah. had a, it was just everyone if we can get that finishing on and it yeah. it actually this reminds is, me of, of chris pontius uh, like to to create a to to reference a microcosm chris pontius's first couple years in the league was an incredibly bad finisher he would still get goals because he got himself into position so well and so many times and would get the ball in good spots to shoot and eventually he figured out how to finish hopefully that happens for this team against chris pontius this weekend otherwise um we're gonna start talking about 2017 sooner than later uh i'd also mention um one thing that comes to mind with um you mentioned lucho acosta um just coming really close um, more than once and getting getting into a really good spot and then not necessarily making the best decision or delaying the decision a little. Um, in the first half, there were a couple times where he shot when he should have taken the pass. Um, there were a few moments in both halves, really, where he just waited too long. Uh, he wanted to take that one extra touch. Um, in the second half, it was more like he should have shot and he opted for the pass. Um, he's right. still young. You know, we're still talking about a 22 year old. So, um, right. And, and on that note, um, two thoughts. One, sometimes teams get accused of trying to pass the ball into the net. Uh, on Sunday, I was pretty sure Acosta was trying to run the ball into the net on a couple yeah. of occasions. It's, uh, the, the old, um, I used to tell people that I always thought Jaime Moreno would retire the, um, by, he would have a goal where he dribbled too many people and he nutmegged the goalkeeper and literally like rolled the ball with the sole of his foot over the goal line, uh, unchallenged. Uh-huh. And, and as then soon just as he squawk off, he, yes, it would be, that would be it. He would, he would say, I'm done. I can't do anymore. It's over. And he would retire immediately at that moment, regardless of the circumstances. He would just be done and people would be like, ah, that makes sense. It'd be um, kind of. Think- at I that think moment, was kind of going for that last night. Yeah, it seemed like it a couple it, nights ago. If Moreno had had done that, we would have had to write a story about. And then Moreno cried for there were no lands left to conquer. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but the other thing about Acosta is, I know this is this is stepping out onto the limb of of hype, but uh, gosh, sometimes he reminds me of Mauro Diaz his first couple years in the league, where he's just that one that one little touch away from absolute brilliance and, and, you know, knock wood, but Acosta hasn't gotten hurt as much as Diaz did even then. Right. But he, if he makes that pass a little earlier or chips the keeper instead of trying to dribble him or cuts back slightly differently and just anticipates the defense a little bit quicker, then he's, it's fine. An MVP candidate. Um, The good news is that it's fine tuning. It's not a fundamental thing where you're like, I don't know if this guy can ever figure this out. Um, I think Diaz was about the same age. Maybe I think he was a year older. Um, A year older, even. So this is this is a good sign from Acosta. Like it did take him to do is make these adjustments about about a half season to start finding his form, and then the next year he was really um, the player that now everyone talks about. 
But you'll also notice that Dallas, not to go too far onto the Diaz thing, but Dallas will occasionally just leave him out entirely. And it's not because he's hurt. It's because they are resting him because of the injury issues, which fortunately so far, um, we don't have any evidence. Yeah, we don't have any evidence that Acosta has some sort of um, potential for strains or what have you happening over and over again. Um, yeah, and he has gone the last two games, the full 90. Yeah, um, which, and, and he is earning this year, it. Which is good um, to see, yeah. Um, and he's also helping out on the, the defensive side of the ball with his ability to pressure. Um, there was the, the moment where he pressured uh, and then won a header over uh, Victor Cabrera <laughs> to send himself in on goal. <laughs> and I feel like the whole stadium probably said the same thing that I said to myself. Just like, how are you losing a, a header to Acosta in that moment? Like, I know Cabrera is not the biggest defender, but it's still like Lucho is 5'3". Um, and you yeah. know, like where the ball is, there's only one thing he can do. He's got to go up for a header. So how, as a center back, how are you not like, I got this, don't worry. Um, <laughs> instead he was just like, what's going to happen? And Costa <laughs> jumped and headed the ball over him and kept running. He's like, I don't know what happened. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, it's a game that if, if United wins, if they get a goal or if Bernardello doesn't score, we're talking about maybe the best performance of the season where it's a very feel good win and everyone's, you know, feeling very positive, you know, all of a sudden it's a potentially uh, atmosphere changing game. And the fact Mm -hmm. that Montreal got the goal um, and it's, it was a great goal um, from Bernardello. um, But the fact that that, that effort still ends in a draw, it almost feels like, the whole, the, all the positives, it's tempting to rule those positives out and be like, oh, we're back where we started. Uh, can't get a win at home. Um, but United needs to, the players on the team need to realize that if they play like that for the next three games, the next three home games, if they play like that, they're very likely to give themselves nine points in those three games. Um, with all due respect to the teams that are coming in, which are all good teams, but uh, that was about as good of a performance as United has had this year. And seeing that they're capable of that while incorporating a new striker, uh, while trying to incorporate um, Kennedy Igboananike, who had been who had one training session, and ended up playing I think twenty six minutes. Um, yeah, um, Rob and Vincent looking, getting uh, looking in, looking okay. Yeah, and, and you know uh, Rob Vincent, who hasn't gotten uh, a lot of credit amongst United fans, I thought he did pretty well when he came in. Um, and he's and surprisingly, he came in and. In a straight swap, actually, yes. for a central uh, midfielder and stayed center while De Leon stayed wide. Yeah, um, which I, the, I know Vincent played central midfield in college. Um, a lot of college programs have to move guy, move talented players out of their best ideal position just mm-hmm. because they're – I mean, if you're a college team and you've only got four truly talented players, you need to get them on the ball so you end up with them in the middle – um, or playing as a forward or what have you, uh, out of necessity. I mean, Andrew, to use a player who is famous for this, uh, Andrew Wenger with Houston, when he was in college, he played as a center back one year. He played as a center forward one year. He played as a central midfielder one year. Um, and it's all because and when he was at the front and at the back, he won the national. Yes. He won defender of the year and, yes. and then, yeah, before um, that, the defender of the year. It so, was... so your college position only means so much. I mean, you have to really look at a player's skill set. Um, but Vincent clearly retained some muscle memory for that. Um, I thought this was maybe his best showing, uh, for DC all season. Mm-hmm. Um, I did think it was interesting. He got up and warmed up early in the first half and we, he does that every time. Yeah, right. He's on we've been, we've been, uh, 
that's been a thing that we've noticed. And I think Steven Streff has also told us that that's something that is known within mm-hmm. the team. That is just a habit of his. Um, but for him to come in in the 56th minute for, for Jeffrey, um, I feel like maybe that's an attacking move um, at that point in the game um, because it's one nothing, And United clearly didn't want to sit back on one nothing. They weren't sitting in and waiting to wait the game out. They tried to go get the second goal, um, which I think was the right decision. Even though it didn't pan out, I think if you played this game a thousand times from that point, and said, is it the right decision to go try and get the second goal? I think Montreal was ready to give up the second goal. Yeah, um, it's slightly better finishing. In, yeah, just just a few, you know, a few inches on one shot. One one. Yeah. Um, and then it doesn't matter if Bernardello scores the goal he did or if um, Piotti pulls, you know, some, some magic out of his hat or if Drogba doesn't get himself sent off for an incredibly stupid decision and then does something because he's also, he, he had that miss in the first half where it was one of those situations uh-huh. where there are like three players in the league that you would be like it, that everyone else in the league, you see the guy in that situation. Like, this is fine. This doesn't matter. Um, but drug was one of those guys who are like, we're still in danger right now. Um, when he looks yeah. up and decides to go to goal from like in front of the bench, uh, uh, the, the DC bench from like 40 yards out. You're like, this is still potentially dangerous. He could put that in the upper corner. Um, and nearly did. Yeah. That one wasn't from 40 yards. It was just from basically the sideline. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a bad angle. It's, it's far away and it's not a, not a spot that most players should have ever, ever think I should shoot now, but Drogba has earned that in his career where he gets to make that decision. Yeah. He actually shot that from right in front of me where, <laughs> where my seats are. And we thought it went in. At mm-hmm. first, because you, you, there's no you depth to see perception it past, at Yeah, that you had distance. to see it past the net. Um, yeah, exactly. And when I saw it bounce off the boards, it was like this huge sigh of relief yeah. because that really looked like it was in. Uh, let's talk about DC United's goal, though. Uh, I know you were happy because there's a couple of Terps combining. Yeah. Taylor Kemp uh, staying on the right after a corner kick. Uh, and then the ball pops out to Marcelo. He recycles it to Kemp, who puts it in beautifully rediscovering that that wonderful left foot of his and finding Patrick Mullins who heads it downward and it bounces up over Evan Bush into the net it was a great team goal like it, it's it's interesting that both goals came off of partially cleared corner kicks from the same corner of the field um that's coincidence more than yeah. anything else but um it was nice to see United score on a recycled set piece yeah, and, and it's good for Mullins to get going um, after having yeah. spent a whole season not really not even getting a chance. Um, and, you know, I understand NYCFC saying, well, we've got David Villa down the middle. Why would we like unless he has to come out? Why would we ever change anything? Um, but they've still been behind in enough games where I feel like they should have at some point been like, well, let's bring Mullins in as well, because what have we got to lose? Um, especially since Mullins, he's not a winger, but he can play out there. Right. And he and Via in 2015 showed some, some understanding. Um, Mm -hmm. Mullins didn't get six goals and four assists without working with David Villa. Um, that, that is a nice side benefit for playing. It's one of the only benefits I think from playing for, for that franchise is, uh, getting to line up next to someone like that. But, uh, you spend a whole season basically not getting to play ever. Um, that can wear on you at, at any position, but especially for a striker, it, you know, it's such a confidence based position. Um, so for him to arrive and this quickly find himself in a starting role and then get a goal that quickly, um, in his first home game, 
um, that bodes pretty well going forward. And the, the other thing I liked about this is that Mullins doesn't have a ton of headed goals. It's definitely something he can do. He's got the size for it. He's got the bravery to go win those headers. Um, but it's not necessarily the first thing uh, that comes to mind, at least to me, thinking back while he was at Maryland and then in New England and in New York. Um, it's not the first thing I think of when I think of how he scores goals for him. So for him to have that um, as his first goal, I think that is going to boost his confidence quite a bit. And United obviously needs more confident players in front of goal because we're talking about a game that absolutely should have been a win. And it's all down to wayward finishing from some other guys. Uh, and, you know, it's not that Mullins didn't have some misses peppered in there as well, but you can't really blame the guy that did score your goal. Um, right. when you have a bad finishing game, it's like, well, that guy did score. So, um, but no, uh, it, it, I think it's a good sign that he's already at that, that stage where it looked fluid. It didn't look not, not just the goal, but I mean, his whole, um, involvement with the rest of the team, it looked fluid. It looked like a group that had been together longer than like 10 days or however long it's been. Um, I, I want to note to people that my mental fatigue over the weekend made me at one point, I was looking back over articles I've written recently, and I saw that I wrote the official Tally Hall has retired article, and I honestly was like, that feels like it was so long ago. And then I was doing the math. I was like, it's <laughs> it's literally not two days ago yet. Like, it's an hour before it'll be two days. Um, so, I, yeah, my sense of time is no good, but I'm pretty sure Mullins has only been here for about 10 days or so. Um, less than two weeks, I know for a fact. Um, and for, for, for him to be that well... <laughs> that well incorporated into the group is really, is really promising. Um, and now that, you know, the next step is getting Igbo and Anike incorporated as well, because, you know, if you can get him and Niarko on the field at the same time, um, the, the amount of speed United has can really pin teams back and that can really dictate the terms to teams without even, United doesn't even have to be as good as they were against Montreal. If you have that much speed on both sides, you can force teams back just from the threat. It's like a mutually assured destruction uh, policy, um, except without the cost in global politics. Um, you just terrify your opponent. You don't even have to, they don't even have to succeed. You just say, look how fast these guys are. And they're like, that's right. Those guys are really fast. We should, we should stay way back. And then you get to, you know, play much. It's much easier to play through the midfield at that point. Though United hasn't been great against defenses that have been, that have been sitting back like Toronto when they get a lead. Uh, it's hard to break organized defenses down well, when they in those cases we don't give you room for the speed to matter. Right. Well, now, in those cases, we didn't have um, Mullins. We didn't have Niarco. That's um, true. Acosta That's true. wasn't as good in that game uh, as he was against Montreal. So um, I also love the idea of having potentially three players on, you know, one through the middle, one on the right, one on the left that can take people in the dribble and consistently beat them. Um, yeah. Which isn't even a speed thing. It's just the ability to have to break through a one line of defense all over the field rather than, rather than having to say we have to play to this side. And United was very um, heavy uh, as far as where their key passes came from, where they created their shots from. It was very heavily weighted towards attacking Hassoun Kamara, which is a good, mm -hmm. a good plan because of those two defenders, I think he's the one you want to attack. Um, but it also indicated that United really needed um, or how much they missed um, Niarco while he was out. 
Um, the fact that he finally was back out there and it was immediately like, let's feed him the ball as much as we can. Um, he didn't actually, um, I don't think he had a single successful dribble, but the funny thing was, I think it was that it was again, that, that threat of him beating somebody kept Montreal defenders off of him. And then he had the space to make passes. Um, yeah. And that, that didn't have to dribble. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think DeLeon ended up with more dribbles, uh, than anyone on, maybe on both, or no, Piotti had the most because he's Piotti. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside yeah. of the superhumans, um, he had the, the most dribbles. Um, and I, I love that, that possibility that United now has this much attacking depth where Lloyd Sam and Lamar Nagel, which, um, I think Emily Olson reported on Twitter today were both, back in training, but had missed out. It was confirmed, I guess, at training today that um, they were out due to injury, not for some sort of punishment or anything like that. But those go- those guys were unavailable, and yet United still had the depth to bring in Igbon and Ike off the bench. Um, Rob Vincent wasn't needed as a winger. He was able to come in in the center of midfield. So um, it's a nice place to be in where United has true attacking depth, you know, MLS caliber attacking depth to make multiple subs and not be like, well, hopefully this guy works, but you know, you're not exactly feeling super optimistic about it when he comes in or, or to have that situation like we had last year where we saw a lot of defense, defensive minded players coming into the midfield because that's all there was. Um, with all due respect to Connor Doyle, he entered a lot of games in situations where United needed a goal and it wasn't which is not his best use. Right. You know, he added fresh legs for the attack, but mostly when you think of him, you think of him coming on to play wide midfield to help shut a game down. Um that's not the case this year. United can really turn to the bench and say, "Well, not only do we have the depth, we actually have to make a choice. Like, do we want this guy's skill set or this guy's skill set?" And then that's why they made the the three trades that they made in the window. And and we're still uh I believe 27 or so hours from the end of the window. The, the window ends when you're listening to this, it'll end at 1 a.m. tomorrow night. So we're, we're on Tuesday, Wednesday night, or I guess technically um, 1 a.m. Thursday uh, is when the window yeah. ends because of where U.S. Soccer's headquarters is apparently affects this because it's midnight know, central it's, because U.S. Soccer is based in, in they're Chicago. They're in Chicago. Um, and so that, that dictates when the thing ends. So, there's there might I think there was a quote out there today. I don't remember. I can't remember who uh, tweeted it out from training, but that Olson said, you never know. So obviously we yeah. know coaches are always going to say that. But, you know, who knows? Um, maybe we're having yeah. to write something up tomorrow uh, about yet another trade. I would I feel like there might not be any more attack room for attackers. Um, but you, right. again, if we did get somebody, my like the spot that probably most needs to be upgraded is either center back depth or uh the number eight spot right a a defender or a central midfielder um, exactly would make would make a lot of sense um we have to keep in mind that marcelo is uh has he turned 35 yet or will he i don't remember when his birthday is either way that's kind of a almost 35 and 35 are pretty um and he has had to log i mean the only reason he hasn't played games is due to suspension um, Which he will be this weekend yes. against Philadelphia. Uh, all the Brazilians <laughs> are getting suspended because, well, not Ilcino, but we'll get to Fabinho's suspension uh, in the next segment. But yeah, United's going to have to deal without him, which is a big challenge in this setup. Yeah, uh, I, I imagine that'll be Jared Jeffries 
role yeah, next week. Most likely. Hopefully and then he, can, he can step up. It'll be, I guess, DeLeon or Vincent, um, depending yeah. on how satisfied Olsen was with DeLeon as a winger or a wide right. forward. And, and also knowledge that Sam and Nagel are both back. Right. That, this that may influence things quite a bit. Um, that would be a pretty attacking lineup, though, um, mm-hmm. with with. Uh, Jeffrey under DeLeon and Acosta. But, you know, when I saw the lineup come out for this game against Montreal, my first instinct was to think this is a little too defensive. Um, right. Because I was expecting the four, the 4 1 4 1 again. Um, and to see the personnel maybe quote unquote more defensive, but to see the overall team mindset was to attack, um, that makes up for it quite a bit, especially when the players are capable of playing and that it's not just defensive specialists only out there. Yeah. Hopefully um, we see more of this attacking mindset, not just in these next three games. I want to see more of that on the road as well. And we've seen little bits and pieces of it, especially in the first five minutes of games where DC United will get out and press, but then they'll, they'll sit back a little more right. if, whether they get a goal or not, which they haven't been. Uh, but we'll talk more about the Philadelphia game in a little bit before we take a break though i do want to open up the twitter box because christine Mahler at c Mahler underscore mt on twitter sent us a, a really good question that i don't think we have a satisfactory answer to and i'm you know i'm going to channel some of jason's <laughs> idiocy right now and say let's answer it anyway uh she writes at filibuster dcu how is tv scheduling decided it's very uneven obviously star power etc but what else um and she tabulated, uh, she says on the, on, on post-it notes, uh, the number of appearances, uh, on English language national TV that each team has made. And there are three or four in each conference, four in the West, three in the East that have double digits of national appearances on ESPN, ESPN2, Fox, and FS1. And then no one else is above five in either conference. DC United is at four for the season. Uh, in the East, it's NYC, the Red Bulls, or in Orlando are the only teams in double digits. Out West, it's Seattle, LA, Kansas City, and Portland. Everyone else is down below five, and RSL and Philly don't get on English language national TV even once. Um, NYCFC also, uh, lots of Univision. DC United's been on Univision a few times as well. Um, but Jason, what's your hunch as to what goes into this? Uh, well, I think naming the list of teams at the top kind of gives it away. Um, yeah. you have the New York market. Um, it doesn't matter the fact that those teams have, or the Red Bulls, not so much anymore, but, um, NYCFC has, huge names on it. Um, so that, that certainly helps, but, um, out West, I think it's even more indicative. You have two teams that everyone can't stop applauding for their atmosphere. And you have Mm -hmm. two teams that are, uh, the team is a constant threat to sell, you know, 25,000 or more tickets per game. Um, and I think a lot of it is just the eyeball test for the, the national broadcasters. They say, okay, if we're going to, to do a game, we'd prefer to have either teams with these star names for us to advertise or teams that when we put the product on TV, we're going to have an easy time showing people what a great atmosphere it is. Um, yep. And some of that's perception. Some of it isn't based in – it's not like they're sending people to various stadiums to check the atmosphere, so to speak. And or- Orlando falls into that – it kind of falls into both categories with Kaká yeah. um, and the Citrus Bowl being uh, – 
packed with fans most weeks. Um, but yeah, I think it's an eyeball test thing from the networks. I'm sure they have a more scientific way of doing it than, than that. It's not just someone sitting in an office looking at, you know, some video highlights and saying, well, that's a place we should do it in and this place we shouldn't. But I'm also sure because I know networks and, um, TV networks, especially they work on, there's still a sort of a great man theory going on in some of their places where they let, uh, the head of programming make decisions based on the trust that that person's going to get it right. Um, and it's become less because during the nineties, there were a lot of comedies after Seinfeld that faltered for NBC and everyone was like, wow, we don't want to do that again. And that was all based on let's trust person A and person B. And that's that. Um, so there is more of a science to it. Um, and I'm sure they've got numbers. They'll never ever tell anyone um, that indicate where they should go. But a lot of those numbers end up coming back to the same thing that the eyeball test would tell you. Um, you know, you put a game in Portland, it's going to look good on TV because the Timbers Army does what they do. Um, it's very easy to sell that when you're saying, look at this atmosphere. This looks like an important sporting event. Um, and MLS yeah. still has to, you know, show that when they go on TV yeah, that this, they have to establish. Seattle too. Yeah, they have to establish that this is an important sporting event that you should not change a channel for because – Let's face it. I mean, listeners of this podcast are not uh, representative of the TV viewing audience. Um, <laughs> I, I think some of it comes down to also they're looking for teams they think will be good yes. before the season starts. And so that's part of why Portland's on there. That's part of why Seattle's on there. Yeah, Portland is um, the defending champion. You, The defending yeah. champion always gets a big jump up in their numbers. Um, yeah. That's and been happening if, for if a Dallas long time. Could, if Dallas could have more consistent attendance at their oven in suburban Dallas, then I think they would have a lot more than the two English language national TV appearances right. they do have because they are hella fun to watch uh, most of the time. Something you um, just said triggered something for me. Um, you said English language. One thing I will note is that you'll notice that the Univision selections are based on Hispanic population in those cities a lot. So Chicago is mm-hmm. on there very frequently. Um, Dallas over the years Houston they've been on there a lot. Dallas, Houston, uh, Chivas USA, even though they were a disaster, would end up on there frequently um, because the network hoped that people would connect with the Chivas brand. And and usually there was at least one player of uh, Hispanic descent on there that was worth sort of worth watching and Kubo Torres had the one year where he was obviously worth watching and the other players on the team were obviously not worth watching. Um, but yeah, they make slightly different decisions um, based on what works for them. But if you look at the numbers there, they make pretty sound decisions as far as getting people to watch MLS games. Um, those games often get better traffic uh, than Fox and ESPN do. Um, yeah. So just because it's not an English language thing d- doesn't mean that people are never going to see the Chicago Fire, for example, because Chicago has a huge Mexican population. Um, yeah. And, and especially they know that they're especially since MLS and Univision are promoting uh, the SAP English mm-hmm. language feed. And uh, since I've gotten cable again, it's those Friday night games are automatically on the, the Ramsey Sandoval English language mm. feed, which I'm not personally thrilled about because oh, I, I don't know how that I happens. Really can't stand I would be very upset about that, that. but <laughs> yeah, but it, it automatically switches over to English for mm. that, um, which is clever, but annoying. Right. Um, 
so yeah, in I know ESPN's MLS ratings are up this year significantly, I think I read. So it's whatever they're doing, it seems to be working is that it would be nice to get more exposure for more teams, but they, they gotta, you know, they gotta get paid. So that's how it goes. That's it for this segment. We will be right back with a special guest from the brotherly game, uh, to help us preview DC United versus Philadelphia Union. So stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. We are joined now by Evan Villela. Did yeah. I get that right? You nailed it. Very. You didn't even ask before we started, and you got it. So. All right. Yeah. Evan Villela from, from BrotherlyGame.com. He's here to help us preview DC United's attempt at revenge against the Philadelphia Union, both for beating DC United and for stealing our Chris Pontius, but paying us nicely. So I don't know if it's really stealing <laughs> at that point. Anyway. DC United will look to get back into the win column Saturday night against the Union at RFK Stadium. Kickoff is 7 p.m. And if you can't make it to the stadium, it'll be on News Channel 8 or your local Sinclair station. Evan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, guys. All right. I told you about this beforehand. What are you drinking? I, I actually, so I thought about having a blue moon, but then I realized that I could go local and some people would be happy. Uh, so it is there. The brewery is called Victory, and it is a headwaters ale, which is apparently like a, a nice way to give back to the environment and stuff. I don't, I don't know. But Victory Brewing Company headwaters ale. I'm almost finished it, but that's fine. Victory does good stuff. <laughs> they do. They do. They really do. I've had them on the show before. Or hey, I, hey, there we go. Consumed their product on the show before. I should yeah, say. We're just waiting. We for haven't had any breweries on yet. No, um, we keep trying. We keep telling we will them. Keep, we will appeal to them to give us money. Um, or beer. <laughs> Filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. <laughs> Evan, like United, the Union are winless since the last time these two yeah. teams met. Yeah, uh, that was a 3 nothing win for Philly up it in was. Chester. What's, what's going on with your boys? Uh, well, we can't beat anybody in the Western Conference. Uh, that's been sort of the... Uh, 
theme, at least last week it was, with a loss to RSL, um, in, like, really weird, not Union 2016 fashion. Um, it was, it was a really, like, a callback to, like, 2010 through 2015 Union, if that makes sense. We're like, we're bad, and we don't seem like we care that we're bad. Um, just one of those games that kind of seemed like no one wanted to, to show up, in a way. Um, which was disheartening because we get that boost from having Keegan Rosenberry and Andre Blake come back from the All-Star game. Uh, so the last month or so has sort of been uh, a reality check in a way. Uh, I think a lot of people on our staff had the union sort of just sneaking into the playoffs and then, you know, getting bounced first round. Um, and maybe that big run where we were top of the East for a long time, uh, sort of, uh, like, inflated everybody's hopes as to what the team could do in, in, in terms of where we would finish in the standings. So I don't know if this is um, a sign of things to come for the Union, which I hope it's not, or if it's just kind of a, you know, balance out a little bit before the playoffs are up. So let's talk about uh, some news. The The union have been linked to Alejandro Bedoya of late. Um, it, it sounds like it's, it could have some legs and, and the U.S. International could be coming to Philly. What do you what do you make of that? Yeah. So I guess we'll, we'll pull back the curtain a little bit and say that it hasn't happened by the time we're talking to each other. Um. So the, the two teams that are involved, right, are Chicago and us, which always seems to be the case when we're linked to any international. Like The so good news Chicago, is that Chicago, the good news for you is Chicago always loses those. Right. Yeah. So I was going to say <laughs> Jermaine Jones, they lost out on, and, and I think Drago was the other one they lost out on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but Bedoya, uh, we like that idea like it would be kind of cool because we don't have a whole lot of like u.s international team guys like our last player to get a men's national team cap was marisa do against mexico for like 15 minutes in a friendly um but at the same time we don't know where he's gonna play for us because like ideally we want him at the eight um but he's you know he's played out on the wing which we don't need any more of because we have 95 you know left or right wings uh we don't need him at the cam because we have Tricky Barnetta and Roland Albert who's been on an absolute tear um so like would it be a really like validating sort of thing that we could sign a big name like yeah that'd be really cool uh but the the problem would be more where he fits and not so much if we can grab him so Going back to the current roster, you have a lot of wings. You have some interesting permutations you can do in the midfield. How do you think that midfield does line up against DC United? Uh, well, it's, it's because I don't know like the Bedoya thing. It's a little bit harder to. to well, assume he's not available. Assume he's not available. Uh, so we would have I'm like Chris Pontius starts because that's you know, what you guys get. And he's been fantastic and healthy this whole season, knock on wood. Uh, up top, I think you get Roland Alberg again. I know Barnetta's back off of the yellow card accumulation. Um, but I think he plays more of a center defensive role with uh, like probably Brian Carroll. And then out on the right side, you'd be looking at um, 
there. And I'm drawing a blank, which is awesome. Uh, El, El Cino or Latou? Those I, are your I, options. I prefer I El Cino, personally. Um, I know Latou, I think he's falling off at a pretty like decently fast rate this uh, this season. Uh, but I like El Cino just in terms of what he can do on the ball. I think you guys fell victim to that uh, with the second penalty the last time we played. Um, and then at the back, I mean, that's your usual four of, of Rosenberry, uh, Marquez, probably Ken Tribbett, and, uh, and Fabinho, and then Andre Blake, of course, in goal, because he's uh, probably the best goalie in, in MLS with all respects to goal to me. We, we pretty strongly disagree on that front. That's fair. Clearly. <laughs> Clearly. But, but Blake has been great this I, year. Yeah, um, yeah. I feel like there's there's no way anyone could say otherwise on, the, on that. Um, my question has to do with um, uh, the suspension of Fabinho. Um, with the, I think he ended up going over the yellow card accumulation uh, limit yeah. uh, this weekend against RSL. So uh, I think we know that this, the that Ray Gaddis will be this, the person to step in simply because the union doesn't really have – because of the number of midfielders and, and uh, uh, wingers that are out there, there really isn't many other – choices uh for for right. Jim Curtin he's pretty much got to go with Ray Gaddis there how yeah. much does that change the union's attack because I, I know for our listeners Ray Gaddis uh compares well to Chris Korb um whereas yeah. Fabinho is much more of a Taylor Kemp um so what does that yeah. mean from from the union's perspective for, so the, the one thing I don't think it's going to happen uh the other option that Curtin would have and we haven't seen Warren Creval in a in a wing back role, but he could slot into the right back, and then they could use Derek Jones, which I think is me just being a really hopeful Bethlehem Steel writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what Ray Gaddis is going to bring uh, offensively, he's not too far off of Fabinho, I don't think. Uh, like his crosses aren't awful, uh, and and I think just looking at him isolated from the rest of the team, he's not too bad going forward. Uh, the thing that really bothers a lot of Union fans, I think, about when Ray Gaddis plays that that position is that it seems to really strand Chris Pontius. Like, he sort of ends up on an island and doesn't get involved in much, which I'm sure is great news for you guys. Um, but for somebody that's that's, you know, proven to be a really integral part of this offense, um, that's not very good. And the other thing, Ray Gattis has a lot of pace, but his one-on-one defending is not the best either. Um, and so against a team like yourselves that have brought in a lot of, you know, good quality attacking players in the window, uh, that could be a problem. Further, further forward, um, you've listed uh, the midfield, and we know that CJ Sapong, who has really had a lot of success against United, to speak of someone who has some connection to DC United and plays for the union, um, which seems to be a kind of a requirement to play for the the union. union. Um, But uh, the, the issue when I look at the union roster is always, it's not the first 11, it's the guys that are going to come in off the bench. And that's why the Bedoya thing kind of struck me as odd. Um, Yes. Because I think the union could spread that money around and really bolster the subs because, Right now, CJ Sapong is the only 100% striker on the team. Yeah. Like Fabian Herbers 
can play there, but has also spent some time playing in Allberg's spot recently. Um, mm-hmm. When when Curtin turns to his bench, who do you want to see coming in, and who are you when, when they come in? Who are you like? Oh, not, come on, this this sub like who who's the sub that makes you right. encourage and who discourages you? So. I really like Latou off the bench, kind of around like the set, like the the seventy fifth minute. Like I don't think he's got legs to go full ninety anymore. Um, but I like I really I love his work ethic. I think he has a nose for goal yet. He can kind of poach. Um, and in terms of an attacking substitution, like I would like to see him try to play up top at the at the striker position, just because I think that way he can sort of rest himself a little bit more and maybe not have to exert himself as much as he would if he came on for like an Elsinio or that guy that used to play for you for a couple of years. Uh, the uh, the the player that I that I really really don't like coming off the bench just because again as the guy that usually covers Bethlehem Steel for brotherly game. I think he needs a year in Bethlehem. Uh, Fabian Herbers comes on, and we just kind of lose that hold-up play that CJ is like just really good at. Um, and that's not a knock against Fabian. Like he's had his he's had his moments. There was a goal he scored, you know, a month or two ago that was that was really pretty. Um, but like, in, yeah. So if we're gonna make a, a jump for a guy like uh, um, Bedoya. Where, you know, that's going to be a good bit of money. The other sort of complaint I've seen on, on Twitter today, uh, or the last couple of days is, well, why wouldn't you try to use some of that to get a second striker, like a bench option? Um, so yeah, I, you know, Latou off the bench is great. Um, I think Leo Fernandez has actually had a couple moments. Uh, but yeah, Herber's off the bench makes me very uneasy, especially if it's a one goal game. Uh, I guess my last question comes back to you mentioned Brian Carroll um, and Maurice Du, who hasn't played at all this year because his yeah. his injury situation is just ongoing. There's no real answer there. Sure. Um, when you see Carroll lined up again uh, alongside Barnetta, do you feel like that's a vulnerability, or do you think he plays well with Barnetta's strengths? I I like Carroll better with Barnetta than I like him with Craval. Uh, that's not really an answer mm. to, your, to your question, so to speak. <laughs> um, I don't know where Brian Carroll's getting this season from. Like, I, I think he must have bought it from Satan or something. Uh, because there's no way a guy his and this is not like, I, he's great, like, nice guy. I don't, I have, like, how does he do this? Um, I think Barnetta is a little bit more of a liability in that I think he wants to get forward more. Mm. Um, but he's been able to control possession in that in that deep midfield so well against pretty much every other team uh, that while he might leave Carroll open a little bit, maybe on a on a counter, he can track back and and really um, clean up. So I I want to talk more about that number eight spot, which I know is another spot where you'd like to see. Uh, a new acquisition come in and, and help out. Have there been any names that the union's been linked with or, or anybody that you would like to see come in or even just an archetype that you want to see <laughs> the union bring in to, to bolster that spot? So in being linked with anybody, no, uh, I know there was a, like a large contingency or a fan base that really wanted proper Poku from New York city. 
Um, but but when it's the Miami FC bidding, you just right. you just can't compete with well, that. Well, you know, they took Michael LaHood from us for, for like three hundred thousand dollars out of nowhere. So, uh, but an archetype for that, uh, I, I someone that can get in underneath Sapong and is able to sort of help him uh, maintain possession. If there if there's sort of one thing that I that I don't really like a whole lot about the current offense that we put out is that a lot of or, in the games that don't go our way, it seems like a lot of let's play long balls to CJ so he can knock them down to nobody. Um, so in, in terms of an archetype, just someone that can that can create, um, you know, with with a little to work with, and then someone who's got a nice uh, long shot wouldn't hurt either. Um, I, I think we have our free kicks and our penalties covered with with Alberg and Barnetta, but just. Yeah, someone that can that can really create and uh, and doesn't need to necessarily have that first knockdown ball from the striker, but would definitely benefit from it. Next to him, you said Brian Carroll is he he he's bar- he's on borrowed time at he this is. point, yeah. and I'm inclined to agree. Who's next at the number six spot for you if if he can't go or or next year if he can't manage to borrow another year from the Bank of Satan? <laughs> Uh, this is where I get to be a nerd. Uh, there's a guy who came That's up... That's why you're here. Well, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a guy that came up through the academy, um, and he was the first signing for Bethlehem Steel FC. His name's Derek Jones. Uh, he played 45 minutes against Crystal Palace in the friendly, and then played, uh, like 67 or 68 in, uh, Bethlehem's game the next night against Wilmington. Uh, he is a stud, and he can play that, that center defensive mid-roll tomorrow, honestly, in MLS. Um, has a great shot, um, is a big dude. He's like 6'2", stocky, physical. Um, so if it's if it's not Brian Carroll, you know, he signed with the first team uh, a week ago. So I think that was kind of the move uh, that said, all right, you know, if it's not Brian Carroll next year, then it's, then it's Derek Jones. Zooming out a little bit, uh, I want to ask you about Ernie Stewart and how he's done in charge of the Union. How do you rate his his performance? He is the antithesis of Nick Zakowitz, which is the best praise I could give a general manager <laughs> in soccer. Uh, he has taken us from a club that was really cool about leaking news and giving it to local reporters and turning it into a soccer team that plays soccer well and then people react to it accordingly. Um, he, like, the, this month he's getting some criticism just because we haven't seen any moves when we probably needed to make two or three. Um, but if you look at it as a whole from the academy to Bethlehem to the first team, we have a plan now, which is really exciting because we didn't before, and it's a soccer-based plan. Uh, so, you know, it's really a breath of fresh air because it's a guy who knows how to build a successful soccer team. And that's kind of the one thing that we haven't had in Philly. All right. Last question. If you were on our side of things, uh-huh. put yourself in Ben Olsen's fantastic sneakers. Uh, Cause the dude's got a good sneaker game. Put yourself in his shoes. How would you sure. game plan against the union this Saturday? I would like to say, I think both of our coaches have really good style, so that's exciting. Um, I'm glad that I get to be Ben Olsen for the next two minutes. Uh, 
run at the defense right now. Like, just run at the defense. We're leaking goals. Um, you guys have, again, a, a group of very good forwards. Uh, with Mullins and Igbo and Ike and, you know, I like Saborio. Um, so if you, if you run at the defense, one of our center backs, Josh Yaro, is actually really pacey and small, but he can jump, and I like him. I don't know if you're going to see him. If it's Tribbett and Marquez, definitely just run straight at the defense because they'll more than likely give something up. Um, in the last game against RSL, it seemed like they had a lot of success just kind of putting one of their center backs, I think it was Anderson Olave, just on top of CJ Sapong. Um, and just, just making his night as hard as possible to play that kind of hole-up style we like, that'd be great. Um, and just disrupting the passing lanes and really closing down that kind of midfield triangle of probably, um, you know, Barnetta, Alberg, and, uh, and Ilcino, or on the other side, you know, uh, Alberg, that guy that used to play for you for a couple of years, and Brian Carroll. Who also um, played with us for a couple of years. Right, yeah. Uh, and then played with your hearts recently in the offseason. Uh, but if, if, uh, if, you can, if you can clog up those passing lanes and prevent us from getting out wide and getting crosses in and playing like relatively good-looking attacking football, I, I think you'll have a win. Um, it's it's going to be hard to break down Andre Blake. I mean, he's not invincible and he doesn't, you know, he, he's made mistakes before. But um, the the days of the union goalkeeping carousel are, are over. So I don't think we're going to see um, a ton of goals on either side. But if you're trying to break the union down, the best way to do it currently is just try to play a downhill game. All right, Evan, thanks for coming on the show. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online? You can, you can find me uh, at the Brotherly Game, uh, brotherlygame.com, on Twitter over at Villella BSFC. That's a very long Italian last name, but it's V-I-L-L-E-L-L-A, and then uh, BSFC, where I usually talk about USL, uh, but will occasionally dip into some first team. Uh, other than that, you can find me nowhere else because I don't want you guys to stalk me on Facebook. All right, guys, you heard him. Stalk the hell out of him on Facebook. <laughs> Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're at filibusterdcu for the podcast on Twitter, at blackandredu on Twitter for the website, uh, filibusterpodcast at gmail.com for any hate mail, any love letters, any advertising inquiries, or any other kind of mail. I, those are the only ones I can think of, but I guess questions. You can also send us questions on Twitter or email. Find us on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. Mostly, though, tell a friend about the podcast next time you find yourself in Lot 8. Uh, we will talk to you real soon. So, Evan, thank you again. And for Jason, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. I don't know how to do this part of the show.